Hello and welcome to our podcast, Baby Baking and Kid Raising, hosted by myself, Eliza Carr, a passionate midwife, new mama and founder of Bump and Bub, as well as my co-host, Dr. Joseph Scorey, an obstetrician, gynecologist and fertility specialist, as well as a dad of three. Together, we will be discussing topics from fertility through to parenthood and everything in between. Each week, we will be joined by inspiring guests who share their own journeys through fertility, pregnancy, birth and parenthood, as well as educational episodes from us, a midwife and an obstetrician. This episode is sponsored by Gold Milk Breastfeeding Clothing. On today's episode, we're interviewing Vanessa Salerno, who's a doula. She's a doula to many and certainly is a doula to a lot of my patients. And she brings with herself a range of personal and professional experiences developed over two decades in the medical industry, including extensive experience in IVF. And she aims to foster a team approach of an environment that supports women during their pregnancy and also acknowledges the vulnerabilities women have during pregnancy, childbirth, and certainly in the postpartum period. Welcome, Vanessa. Thank you for having me. Now, I'm a bit worried about this episode because we've got three Italians on this episode. So (laughs) all of us can talk for a long period of time. And so we're going to have to sort of just make sure that we nod to one another and not scream (laughs) over everyone like you do in sort of a big wog function. (laughs) Yes, I know. (laughs) But tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about what you did before you became a doula, and then we'll move into some more questions about specifically what you do now. So I've worked in the medical industry for some time um, in all various roles and through different aspects of different practices. So from plastic surgery to maxiofacial and, as you mentioned before, IVF is one of my biggest loves that I have. It's a big part of um, the reason why I have stepped into the role of being a doula. Um, So it's I noticed over 15 or almost, I say 15, I don't really, it shows my age, but I've um, realised that I've supported patients through different aspects of big components within the medical industry of, of, uh, of transformation or, you know, cancer and things like that. So that's one part of the reason why I've loves to support people. So, yeah. I mean, IVF is, can be quite a challenging experience for a lot of women and couples, and I think sometimes we see a lot of vulnerability in, in those those people that are going through. What what were some of the, you know, standout patients or experiences that you felt and, 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 and that vulnerability that some women, particularly maybe some women that are doing it on their own or couples doing it on their own? Because I think one of the things about IVF is, there's, some, there's still some people that don't tell everybody, hey, we're having trouble becoming pregnant and, you know, we have to do IVF. So, you know, what did you sort of learn from those sort of experiences in the IVF world? I think for me going into it, I think that was a shock. I didn't realise in like this day and age because we share so much on social media about anything like what we ate for lunch today. Like I just I think it was such a big thing to walk into the IVF world and realise that so many people do this on their own, and the and it's and it was I think for us sitting and like your girls you'll know at your practice Joe is that we're almost like their counsellors. We're those people at that desk when they get that call, that two week call that that cycle hadn't worked, or you know they're looking at donor egg or surrogacy. We're that person at that desk to just for them to talk to. And it, it blew my mind about I think it was such a that how many people are doing it on their own and they don't want to talk about it and then they build their own communities. It's one thing about the IVF world. they All the women support each other but they don't go on with family or friends. And then I think one thing that really stood out for me is that I think when people realise that sometimes their option to have a family doesn't matter you don't know how you're going to create it. So either with donor egg or you don't have a partner involved or, you know, donor sperm. I think, you know, I remember, um, you know, the IVF specialist I work for, it's, a, you know, we don't always, you know, ask them what do you want and people would say, you know, I want a, I want a baby. Mm. We know that but babies aren't babies forever and you want a family. 
And sometimes you have to sit back and go, well, let's see what it looks like to create your family. So I think it starts to open up the option of what we look at, you know, some families or friends that, you know, you have people like good friends that you almost, they're like family to you. So you don't know how you create your own family. I think that that was a big thing for me to go into it, to go, you know what, like it doesn't matter how you create your family as long as you, you create it. And I think it was, I just, I loved the IVF world. I just, um, you know, went to visit the a donor program in Greece and Athens and got to see all of it. And it's just, um, yeah, I just, I don't know. It's a big, it strikes a big chord for me, mm. the IVF world. Absolutely. And and I think a lot of experiences that women and couples have um, during their IVF experience then translate and some of those fears translate into when they're also pregnant as well. Tell us a little bit about your pregnancy, you know, the, the differences certainly between your first pregnancy, for, for example, and your second pregnancy and how that then sort of inspired you to become a doula. So I had, um, I had, very oh well, not complicated we could say we had complicated pregnancies I had low amniotic fluid around my babies and my babies don't know which direction they need to come out so I had two both breech babies <laughs> that both had hip dysplasia so I had to navigate my postpartum a little bit different to most mums and I remember as and it's the differences and I know this is a little thing I remember having my first baby and she had to have I went into a hip brace at seven days old. And I remember I sat there and I was talking to an orthopedic surgeon and I cried the whole time. And I said to him, I'm not going to listen to anything you're saying right now. Like I just was like postpartum just like pouring down my face. And I remember we had our newborn shots and I needed to cover. I felt like I had to cover her up, like I had to cover her brace. And it wasn't the fact that it was that anything else but I thought this stigma on how she was going to be treated as a newborn right and I second time I had another little we call her a little koala because she was out with her legs out and we just held her a little bit different but I gave birth through the pandemic and um I felt alone I remember going into my Caesar and the world was normal and as I left the hospital the hospital was in lockdown Wow. And I remember going to my GP and I just remember, like, the world's crazy. I couldn't even get maternity pads. I remember my sister was saying to me, you know, everyone was doing those mass buys and she's like, I've been to, like, four supermarkets. I can't get you maternity pads. And I was like, what do you mean? Like, I walked into the hospital and the world was normal and then it wasn't. And I remember feeling so alone. And um, it took me back to the IVF world of, you know, being alone and I just was like, women can't be like this. You know, it's a double-ended sword. You know, you want visitors or you don't want visitors when you have that postpartum period, but you you need that one person, I think. I remember for our first baby, um, we had all the aunties and uncles, great aunties and uncles, all the cousins come round to see our little one being, uh, you know, born. And I remember my wife having, you know, very small family here in Australia and, we were in. I remember we were in the hotel because we'd had the baby in the in the hospital, and our little daughter then Kiara was being passed from one zia to another zia to a zio to a grandma to a cousin, and my wife lost it. She she had to go into the toilet and uh, just cry because here here she was. She just given birth to a baby, and then and then watched this baby just move around like past the parcel in a hotel room. Mm. By the time you get to the third, no one gave us stuff. No. <laughs> we had no one. We had no one to leave. No one come round. And it was quite it was a very different experience. And so um but yeah, I think, you know, you make a very good point that, you know, historically, and I've said this on the podcast so many times, that you, there's a village that we always talk about that raises children and Back in the good old days, whether it had been in you know in, in England or Italy or even in Australia, we would have had as women and and also as men had multiple people looking after us during our our pregnancy and also during the childbirth and and in the postpartum period. But now more than ever, we're socially connected, but we're not really connected in this village that look after people at any point, let alone during pregnancy and childbirth. And 
It's interesting then that you you tell you tell a story about what your uh, grandmother did back in the village back in Sicily. So tell us a little bit about that and how that sort of has transpired into what surprisingly you do as well. I remember well when I was thinking about becoming a doula, I was telling my mum about oh yep, mum, I'm going to start. I'm going to do some studies and I'm going to uh, be a doula. And firstly, she looked at me and she was like, "What's what's what's a doula?" Didn't understand what it was. Couldn't understand, um, you know. Uh, it's it's and it's still when people ask me what what is a doula, they have no idea. I get I get so many names for a doula. But anyway, I was doing the um, my studies and I was explaining to my mum what what a doula was. And she went home and she called me and she said, "Oh, well, my grandmother used to go." out and help the midwife she would get called in the middle of the night she wasn't a midwife but she would go and assist the midwives to deliver a baby and um she said we didn't call them doulas and they were called maminas which are little like little mums um and she said she'd get paid you know with flour or seeds and she would assist and she's like so it sounds the same and so like I'm when I look back I'm what fourth generation doula in a, and it's um, interesting to know that we had them back in the the towns of Italy, and now we're still trying to explain what we what we do as a doula, like what we what it's about. I love that story. That's so beautiful, and we know that you know Joe and I again. We've spoken about this before, but you know we've had communities around us in the postpartum, but we've also had communities around us in birth. Exactly like you said, we've always been with women during birth um, and now I know love you know 2023 here we are exactly like you said trying to explain what a support person <laughs> who has a great skill set is so can you tell us a little bit about what is a doula I guess just from the perspective of people who maybe aren't sure and um, what is a doula and how does that kind of look for you so a lot of people ask me are you a midwife no I'm not a midwife we're not medically trained um, we understand the all elements of birth. Um, we have all different aspects of training when it comes to being a doula. So you could do your birth doula, your birth doula um, training. You could do your postpartum. There's also such a thing called an end of life doula as well. So there is a different aspects of areas of and so basically we're emotional and physical support for um, for birthing mums. Um, and it's um, different aspect of training. A lot of people say, "Did you do? Do you learn anything when it comes to end of life doula?" And we do. We do a big component because we know birth is not always a positive aspect. So there is an aspect that we we look at. Um, I've done both training, po- birth and postpartum, um, to to do that as well. Um, we give you know, emotional support, physical support within birth. We give techniques, methods, understanding the birth process. So I get called I'm the the best friend that you didn't realise you had or you needed in that birth space. So that's what I like to call it. Well, I'm a birth bestie. Love that. (laughs) Phenomenal. One of the things also I've sort of found in my own practice is that, you know, people are really encouraging and welcoming of having, having doulas. Um, in the in the birth space, but sometimes the partners aren't, and so you know I, I sit there and I try to tell them that you know it's not only supporting your partner or your, the the woman um, or the birthing person, it's also supporting the the partner, whether that be another female or male. So I think that takes a bit of a component. Do, was there any process in terms of your training that allowed you or thought that you needed to do that, or was it something that you sort of knew? Well, that was there was a gap there. It was just something that I knew that there was a gap. I know that, like you said, a lot of the partners do get funny. They think I take their role, if anything. Um, I never take anyone's role. Um, you know, I, I'm, I'm their biggest cheerleader. I give a little onesie to all my babies that says a doula helped me out and all the dads always say, oh, I need a T-shirt that says a doula helped me out. So they don't realise that. It, you know, we have, a, we have an, a meaning when it comes to a doula about holding space and sometimes you don't need to do much. It's just having that presence of that one person there. It's, um, yeah, it's, it, yeah. I remember like even when I speak to student doulas, they're like, what do you do in there? Like, do I have to be a hands-on? I'm like, you got to, firstly, you got to read a room. I think you got to read, you got to read a room, you got to read. I get to the point that I with 
my couples so much or my birthing mums to the point that I get to read them before I know, like I know exactly how they're going to respond or how they act. Um, and so it's it's something that I, I've always wanted to do. Everyone thinks that I remember when I do speak to some doulas that when I do training they think um, it's a working alongside Joe and have, working alongside an OB, they just, um, it's not heard of. It's not heard of. Something that's, um, <laughs> I get asked a lot. It's something that they just, they just can't work it out for how it works, but it does. So just with that, I mean, I've, it, it is it is unique and it's unique amongst the obstetric community as well. I mean, I remember as a trainee and uh, being a registrar, whenever we had a patient who had a doula, it was like, oh, my God, she's got a doula. You know, there was this sense of, you know, this is going to be a hard labour for us to navigate. Um, and, and, and I suppose one of the reasons why I'm encouraging of it is because, like you said before, it is that additional person. In fact, I'd almost want a T-shirt as well that says a, a doula helped me out. So, you know, feel free to print some out in, in uh, okay. you know, extra large sizes. Um, okay. But, uh, you know, one of the things that I find unique is the fact that, you know, I think we've now been involved in around 30 births together, that there's this sense that I, I you know, you said you've read the room, but in addition to that, you've also read where things are going. So have you sort of developed in your own mind now a bit of a pattern of how you see labours going and sort of being preemptive of where things will end up or not necessarily end up because obviously birth is unique and every birthing experience is unique, but what, you know, you're preemptive of what's going to happen. We, we have a lot of chats. I always say to my clients, birth happens between your ears before it happens anywhere else. So I think there's an aspect of, I think our first meet compared to our life just before we're about to have a baby, their preconception of what birth looks like and even their feel is different. Um, you know, in that space, everything can change at any time. Um, and we know that, you know, things can change. We know birth can change at any point. But I think... Because I know them so well in that birth space, I think their birth satisfaction changes because I'm already 10 steps ahead of what's about to happen. So I already have an idea if there's something that's going to look like, well, I don't call them emergency caesareans, I call them unplanned. We take the, I take away that fear aspect of certain terminology. So I sort of know if they're going to have an epidural, I know that the red trolley is going to come in. So I already preempting them to act in a response before they need to do it. So I sort of, yeah, I'm 10 steps ahead of it. And I think being into almost 50 births, I've experienced more births than some doors, which I'm very grateful for. So I have an idea. And I think Communication with the midwives is a big thing. I work so closely with them. We're, we're like a team up there and we um, we joke. We always have. I have midwives that joke with me and always say to me, I want to be in that space because they're laughing. So it doesn't need to be serious unless it needs to be, right? So mm. it's it's fun. They're about to become parents or have another baby and it's, yeah, so. It's a great approach. I, I like that. It's, it's kind of like what Joe said. I know in my training as well and even into – midwifery there was this kind of for lack of a better word combative state a lot of the time between or yeah. perceived combative state between doulas and midwives and obstetricians and even between midwives and obstetricians and Joe and I have talked about this so many times about how beneficial a collaborative multidisciplinary approach to anything in pregnancy or parenthood is going to be. I think that surprised me to be mm. honest like Eliza like I think going into it, I didn't I didn't have that. I just thought, oh, you know, doulas, like why wouldn't we be welcomed into a birth space? Like, and I've been into some hospitals that I would didn't even want to say I was a doula. Mm. I was like, I'm just a friend because it was this stigma of, you know, and it's, you know, like Joe said, it's the, the, the doula, like she's here, she is, and it's, you know, we don't want to be. And I once I had, I was in a birth and, you know, labour stored and I coached a woman back from her contractions that had stopped and I had a I had a midwife tap me on the shoulder and say to me, I want to do what you're doing. Mm. And then I thought, well, I've, I'm making a change. 
because I, I would just say we're a cheerleader and we work as a team. Like it's it's not my place. I think that's where the stigma comes. Even with student doulas, they'll say to me, how do you work with an obstetrician? But how do you tell a patient they can't have an induction? Or how do you tell? It's not my role to tell a woman how to birth. They under We know that knowledge is power. It's they've got their choices and that's I'm their cheerleader on the sides. You know what I mean? So it's I think that's an aspect. I think that's that stigma that comes around that it has to be, it has to look a certain way. But um, I think it's doesn't need to be like that anymore. Well, I hope so. Let's fingers crossed. I change, change the stigma about doulas in the hospital setting. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Tell us a little bit what patients will be uh, or women will be able to you know expect if they engage with a doula, whether it be yourself or whether it be someone else in another state or territory or here in Melbourne. What what generally speaking is offered during the pregnancy journey in terms of care? What do you go through? What, in the, what ends up happening then during the, the birth itself? And, and lastly, what sort of is offered? And it could be a range of things, obviously, but what is offered in the, in the postpartum period as well? So we're all different and that's, I think, one thing you'll notice that if you look up doulas, there's a spectrum of us and we're all very different. There are some that just do home births and we do ones that do hospital settings and they work in the public setting. And um, so we're all very different and so we're all going to obviously bring different things to the table. Um, but the biggest thing is that when, if I was to engage a doula, you want to know their background. You want to know how many at births have they've been into and and very much how much contact they give you leading up to your birth where in the aspects of myself I give a lot of support during pregnancy because you also welcome me into your birth space you don't want some random just being there that you just she's going to turn up on your day of your birth you want to have a relationship you want to be able to have that chat like I said, so they can read you. So you want to know how many times you meet with them prior and what that involves. In my aspects of what I give them involving is that I do a lot of birth preparation and a lot of about understanding what an empowered birth is. Okay, so that's that's one aspect. We give birth, I give full birth education of what that is, no matter which way you birth. Okay, so vaginal or cesarean, I always cover a big aspect of cesarean births. It's important that that comes up. Then I talk about the fourth trimester. It's one big important thing because we're so focused come that day of birth that no one ever talks about postpartum. And so we talk about what the first six to 12 weeks looks like. Then in times of birth, you want to know how long and how much they're going to give you in that birth. Are you going to be there only when you're in active labour are they they're going to support you no matter how long you birth? In the aspect of myself, I'm with you that whole time. So if you birth for 20, the longest birth I've been in there is 26 hours. So I have been with them the whole time. So I don't leave. Um, I do have a quick dinner break, but um, I'm with <laughs> them the whole time. So I give that support. Um, that's just an aspect that I offer. And then I do postpartum as well. And that postpartum, very much everyone's different. So doulas are, I worked with one doula that cooked. All she did was cook for mum. She cooked, she came in, she gave her meals, she would prep the meals, she'd give mum a massage. I'm very much about emotional support, about establishing those first six and 12 weeks and what that looks like emotionally. I've recently studied and gone back to do my studies in counselling um, and the reason is that because everyone's journey and that postpartum period is different for everybody. And I noticed one thing about working in IVF, when they've gone through cycle and cycle and appointment and tracking and everything, and then once the baby's here, they're like, now what do I do? And everything's mm. just sort of comes down. So giving that support, I think emotionally and physically, is, it's a, you know, you want to look, you you want to know. So I would... Almost gives your doula a bit of an interview process. Hundred oh, percent, yeah. And like you, uh, a point that you kind of spoke to about that you are connected during pregnancy and you're forming that relationship. And I think it's an important thing to note is that a lot of the evidence, you know, not that it's just about the evidence, but a lot of the evidence does come back to the continuity of support. So knowing, you know, having that beautiful, known, trusted person throughout your pregnancy, birth, and postpartum is where a lot of the really good 
um, outcomes come from. We know that, you know, um, couples have higher birth satisfaction rates. We know that we have, they have less interventions um, and a lot of that comes back to that really known trusted person. So that's a, a really key part of it. And I think a lot of people who I've spoken with who potentially haven't had the best experience have not formed that relationship. So it was just another kind of stranger in the room, which isn't, you know, obviously isn't an ideal situation. Yeah, and like I said, you want to have um, – it's fun on that day. Like people joke and think, what, I'm about to have a baby, what do you mean? I'm like, we want to laugh. We want to create that oxytocin. We want you laughing. We want you crying. We want it all the feels. And, you know, I'm there to, you know, brush your hair and fix your eyebrows and everything before you have babies. <laughs> so it's, it's, you know, and it's, sometimes it's even giving like, you know, the other support, you know, if it's mom or, you know, husband and, you know, just to give them a thumbs up and just go, are you okay? Like they're okay to leave the room and have a toilet break and grab a coffee. I think it's, I think the room needs to be supported as well. I think that's, it's, you know, because you give them a thumbs up, you just want to check that they're okay and, you know, because it's a lot, you know, so, you know, as you said, we're about a village. We all used to see birth back in the day and now it's foreign for people. Sometimes walking into a hospital setting is, is foreign. So being able to have that but like that friend in that space, I think it's really important. But that's one aspect that I do and it's, um, you know, you have that. I think it's – and it's also understanding that you you realise if something is also more almost like holding or triggering before they walk into that space. So if that's that case, if there's something that I'm ever worried about, I do flag it back to Joe, like, you know, like let's have a chat together. Like let's uh, – it's a, a group kind of – talk because it's you know everyone says oh what do we do we, you, you need to be comfortable with your healthcare provider if it's a private OB or a, you know or a private midwife you want to be able to talk to them so I give them that little bit of a push to have that voice. I think you know as midwives and as doctors we um, you know we're focused on the medicine or the midwifery components of our of our job and 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 yes what makes us good uh, clinicians and midwives and and doctors is the fact that we're actually we can pick up on those subtleties but when the you know the proverbial hits the fan so to speak we do go into very much a clinical mode and and i think we will lose sight of the the emotional support that actually needs to happen at that point and i think you know in terms of when those points happen, it's also incumbent on us to realise, well, there is an emotional component to this, but it's really hard to do when you're focused on a bleed or you're focused on a baby that's not um, crying just yet or you're focused on a CTG that's not as good as it should be or you, the mum's blood pressure or whatever the case might be. And I think one of the one of, it's all about the teamwork and we, we said that, that at some point in time then that emotional support both for the partner for anyone else in that birth space and particularly for the person who's birthing themselves, having someone who's not medical, who's not really, un- I mean, with all due respect, not understanding exactly what's going on in terms of the process but realising, hey, wait on, I can see the whites of people's eyes here, reading the room and then su- just supporting that individual to say, hey, listen, I'm here for you is particularly important. I agree. Yeah. And, you know, in an ideal world, it is one-to-one care, but coming from someone who's only ever worked in the public sector, uh, we are stretched. We are extremely stretched. We are extremely short-staffed a lot of the time. And now, you know, definitely in the last few years, when I see someone has a doula, I'm like, thank goodness, because I know as much as I want to provide, you know, the the absolute optimal care, and that is always what I would obviously try to provide – Sometimes it's physically not possible for me to be in the room the entire time because I might have two patients. So I think having that, yeah, that amazing undividing attention and support is what every family deserves Um, and unfortunately it isn't always able to be given. So that's another really important part of it. And sometimes they don't understand, like if something does happen or Bobby does need to be revived or have a little bit of oxygen, if I can sort of distract, we obviously so much, so many people walk into that room and, you you know, if there's a call or it's that option of they, I'm still focused. I've got my attention on them and I, just, you know, it's happened before and I'll explain to them. I'm like, oh, you know, oh, my goodness, they've got the biggest toe. I could see they've got perfect toes and talking about and they just, 
can stay in their zone. They're not really understanding what's happening in the corner. Like they're feeling still supported because what happens is that you guys have a job to do, you know, like something happens, you've got to rush to Bubby or you've got to rush to mum and sometimes that the part you sort of, they're like, what's going on? So if they're feeling supported, they look back on it as a different experience to really what's happened in that room. I think it's important. Today's wonderful sponsor is Gold Milk, a beautiful mum-owned award-winning clothing business that supports breastfeeding women. Gold Milk, spelt with two eyes, was created by Tara, mum of three, when she felt that she couldn't find any practical, cool clothes that made her feel like herself, whilst also allowing her to breastfeed her baby on the go, anywhere, anytime. Tara was determined to create a brand that empowered and supported women, and that is exactly what she did. As a breastfeeding mum myself, I can attest to how incredibly hard it is to find clothes that I actually like and I can feed in, until I came across Gold Milk. Their jumpers and tees are designed with invisible zips, making feeding easy and completely fuss-free. No more pulling your whole top up or off this winter with Gold Milk's gorgeous feeding jumpers and tees, available in sizes 8 through to 20. Use code BBKR for $5 off your order now and see the show notes for more. Tell us a little bit about, you know, some of the birthing experiences that you've had and how you've navigated some difficult, you know, situations. I mean, obviously, a lot of them are going to be birthing experiences with, involved with me, so hopefully they haven't been too horrific. Yeah. But, you know, we've had the, we've had a postpartum <laughs> right. hemorrhage, you know, we've had the emergency cesarean yes. sections that needed to be called. We've had the very beautiful births. But tell us about some highlights, some times where there was a little bit of scariness but you managed to you know, get get everyone through, including, you know, the midwives and the doctors. But, you know, just just walk us through what, what sort of what sort of experiences you've had and now having collected sort of over fifty births. Obviously everyone's gonna find things different to what I would see traumatic compared to someone else in that room. I think, you know, when there is, you know, Bubby needs to be revived after birth and they've been needing to go off to special care, it's a big component and I've had some parents that know that Bubby's going to be born a little bit earlier and they've said to me, I want you to go with Bubby. I want you to go off to the NICU. And I think I can then report to them because it's still very distressing, especially when you're seeing your, you know, your little Bubby having, you know, gastric nasal tube put put in. It's something that it's a it's a different emotion coming from me to watch it compared to watch a new mum watching Bubby go into special care. So sometimes we know that that's going to happen, so we have a lot of chats and so we they're like, you go with baby, we're okay. What an honour. How beautiful is that? Yeah, like when, when I look back, I do feel very – I've cut the cord a couple of good, you know, handful of times. Even dads have said, no, I've done the first one, you could do the second one. So I wow. um, feel very honoured. But, you know, like the, I think everyone always just looks at my Instagram page and thinks, oh, it's wild, it's amazing, I want to be a doula. It looks – it's easy. You know, sometimes just even holding space is quite a lot emotionally for a couple, depending every birth. Like you could, I could be in a birth for four hours and walk out of there and go, oh, my goodness, and I could be in a birth for 26 hours and feel different. Um, I think it's about communication. I think I do because I do a lot of covering in birth prior, I – know that their birth can change. So when I do talk about certain things about a bleed, you know, when we talk about, oh, there's a midwife that's going to come in at birth, you won't realise but she'll introduce herself, this is going to happen. Um, You know, I do a lot of debrief afterwards. So that's really important. Sometimes, you know, birth can be, I remember the first couple of times I do see a bleed or a, you know, the fundal massage and all those sorts of things when a midwife had to stand up on a chair and do all those sorts of things. I was like, wow, okay, it's something that's a lot. But and at the start, I get deep, I used to get debriefed a lot being in that space as well. So I could close that and go into another birth and that's why everyone says to me, your births are so close together that I think for myself it's a lot of deepacking myself as well. I think it's a, it's important for me to be able to be switched on and going into another space. And sometimes, you know, it's um, 
I think because I've worked in aspects of different parts of the medical world, I'm not shocked. You know, my you know, I've got sisters that is a, a nurse. She's a chemo nurse. So I'm around it a lot, and I think it's different um, on on which way I look at that's something that's traumatic. But I think being open and having those chats with your you know birthing mum. And having those chats afterwards is really important, I think. So let's let's talk about some highlights, some you know, some wonderful moments. There's there's got to be the wonderful moments, and then we're going to talk about some of the embarrassing moments as well. But surely there must be something that that sticks out. You go, wow, that was really awesome. The first birth I was ever in, I was in with you, Joe. So the first time I was in a birth, and I just I remember walking out and going, I want to do this every day. Like I just was like this, It's everyone's like, what's it like when you watch a baby being born? And I can, I don't know, Joe, you and Eliza, you could see, it's like silence. Like the room, when that baby first appears like that, it's just like, even though it's not me giving birth, it's silent. Like you just, you watch, I, what I love is watch you, watching transformation happening in that room, like that instant um, like, you know, nothing beats when Joe says, come down, touch your baby. And you're know, like, you know, like they're like, wow, like it's just, that is a highlight for me. Like, it, you know, it takes me like, you know, if I'm in a birth for 26 hours or 20 hours, I go home and everyone's like, I'll go get some sleep. And I'm like, I'm wired, I'm buzzing. Like it takes me a while to just crash from that. Um, the, the highlights, you know, being able to cut baby's cord of, done a handful of times that people have asked me and had the honour to cut their cord. It's something um, everyone's like, well, you're practically their dad. And I'm like, oh, thanks. So it's um, something that I, I love. And um, I've also we've had a, a baby named after me, after myself and Joe, baby Joven, which was a beautiful honour. And um, so it's, yeah. There's so much. You, how do you how do you put that in? Like that's asking you, Joe, how and Eliza, how do you put that in a you know, every birth is different. So it's um it's you become a family. Like I have even though we finish at six weeks, I get like an update nine months and I'll thank you for helping me twelve months ago. You were, you know, holding space for me this time last year and I love I think I love still getting the updates, you know, twelve months, two years down the track. So yeah. What are your highlights, Joe, of having a doula in a birth space? What do you find that it's the difference of understanding? Great question. You know, for me, it was touching on what I said before about the whole uh, fact that we're, we we can be involved very medically. I mean, obviously, when push comes to shove, we're in doctor or, or midwifery mode and, and, and being able to know that someone's there caring for our a woman in labour is really important because that's going to. We know that patient satisfaction improves dramatically when there's that ongoing support, as Eliza alluded to before, and particularly. And I remember I was in, involved with a, a birth where there was a, a pretty significant shoulder dystocia, and I had a GP who was the um, the, uh, the the partner. And after the shoulder dystocia had finished, I said, "Team, wow, that was a pretty full-on shoulder dystocia." Thinking that he would know what. What a shoulder dystocia. Well, he, he knew what a shoulder dystocia was, but that he would have sensed that this is what was happening in the, in the birth process. And he said, "Geez, I didn't even notice that, Joe, because you just seem so calm." Now, fortunately, I can be calm, and that can lower the temperature of the room. But I think, particularly at those moments where you know when a baby's been moved off and and, and obviously needs some help with resuscitation, and and the midwife and the doctor is still with the, the woman trying to trying to sort out whether there's, you know, delivering the placenta and the baby's off at the side. Of course, the mother then staring over at this baby. It's nice to have that support person. I think the other thing is, and I've said this to a lot of my own patients, that I'll come into a room during a birthing process and for the time that I'm there, it's a short amount of time. I'm there saying, well, we're going to do this, this and this. Have you got any questions for me? And I'm also, you know, in my own professional experience, I'll have explained things beforehand. So during their during their pregnancy journey, and obviously leading up to the birth itself, but I'll explain what breaking in the waters is, or I might explain why I'm doing an examination. But then I know, and we all know this, that if we go and see any professional, whether it be a lawyer, whether it be an accountant, whether it be 
you know, you, you're even going to see someone regarding your car. You only retain a certain amount of information. So that small amount of information can be misinterpreted and you can possibly even misinterpret to the point that it actually confuses you about what's happening. So the fact that there's someone such as yourself who's been involved, particularly in understanding the way that I communicate to people, in a way that then means that they can reinforce what I say when I've left the room so that it's not just me saying it there for five minutes and then leaving and then the the woman and the partner being left with the thought in their mind, but they've actually then got someone who's reinforced that over and over again. This is what Joe meant by that. I mean, Vanessa, you know that I use a lot of analogies and I use those analogies because they're a lot, conceptually, it's a lot easier to understand a skivvy going over a baby's head than a cervix dilating. It's a lot easier when I talk about fertility talking about the lining of the room uh, of the womb rather growing like grass on the surface of the MCG or the SCG or the GABA or the WACA or the Adelaide Oval. Um, doesn't matter. Um, and, and so at the end of the day, that those analogies then allow someone to understand that process and then when they think about it again, it's something that visually they can realise what's going on. But it's, it's really hard when you're trying to put together very complex medical con, con, situations and conditions and then leave the room. And when we have to leave the room, unfortunately, you know, I, I apologise for having to leave the room, but there's obviously other patients I need to see or there might be another woman who's in labour. So having that reinforcement is really important. And, and certainly I think, you know, from my perspective, there's no doubt that my patients who've engaged the services of a doula, and, and obviously you and I work exclusively and we make no bones about that, that there's a... There's certainly an increased patient satisfaction. I mean, they see us as their birth team, and they see us as the people that have helped bring that uh, little bubba into the world. And I mean, we've—you're right—we've received the greatest honour that probably any two medical professionals can have, and that's having a baby named after us. In fact, on that same day, I had there were three three babies that were born on exactly the same day, and the first baby was named Joven. The last baby was named Joseph after me and the middle baby was not named after me. And so I went up to the parents and I said to them, I'm really disappointed in you guys. And they were like, why are you disappointed? And I said, well, the first baby was partly named after me. The last baby of the day was named after me. And you guys, you haven't even given me a middle name. What's going on here? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so, you know, to have two babies named after me and, and partly named after me in one day is phenomenal. I mean, you know, there's been, I think, about six or seven babies that have been fortunately named Joes out in the world. and, and uh, But, you know, for one day that was pretty special. And I think Vanessa and I, you and I share a special bond with that little bubba, Joven, and uh, I'm sure that we'll recount that story over and over again. I have, I, I don't know whether... You, Eliza, and, and and Vanessa, you do the same thing. But patients, couples, you know, are so wonderful and generous in their acknowledgement of, of what we do that you get a lot of cards and, and I've got, uh, you know, cards. Pretty much nearly every patient will give me a card about how, how impressionable my uh, or their experience was during their pregnancy and childbirth. And so I have these gut cards and I have a big box that I've put them in and I tell my staff, here's another one for the dementia box because I know that when I'm <laughs> older, I'm going to sit around uh, reading these cards and going, we're reminiscing about stuff. I mean, there's a lot of time mm-hmm. and, and, and people might get upset that I actually don't read their cards before they walk out the door. But the reason is because invariably there are many times that I cry when I read those cards and maybe that's just me not wanting to cry in front of people but sometimes <laughs> it's just a special moment for myself that, you know, I just sit mm. down, you know, share share a tear. And the ones where, you know, people say, you know, I know that and I'm, and I'm sort of tearing up now as I say it but, you know, a lot of people say you, you spend a lot of time caring for us and and, and you're away from your family and, and that really strikes a chord for me because, you uh, you know, I do. There's a lot of sacrifices that I make, and Vanessa, you're making now. In, you know, spending many hours away from your family to to care for women. That sometimes, you yeah, when someone acknowledges that, it's quite um, quite a big big deal. But yeah, I mean, there's no doubt, no doubt that the experience that women have uh, combining a whole range of healthcare professionals. So I have midwives in my room rooms. Um, 
the lovely Jess, Rachel, and also Felicity, who's starting very shortly. And in addition to that, also yourself. I mean, that's just a plethora of wonderful support. And, and particularly being a male obstetrician as opposed to a female obstetrician, there's also subtleties in gender. And I think being able to have that collaborative care approach, a team approach and a village approach is really important. So we, I said about some of the highlights. What are some of the embarrassing things or some things that have been a little bit tricky in, in terms of your experiences, whether it be during the pregnancy journey or, or the birth experience or in the postnatal experience as well? Um, well, I get a lot of photos sent to me prior. So you be people send me like, oh, this I've lost my mucus plug. Is this my mucus plug? <laughs> and then postpartum I get all the photos of baby's poos. Um, and then I remember I was my lecturer that was teaching me and I have an Apple Watch and she sent me a photo of a placenta and I was at the supermarket and it came up on my watch and they were like, the lady, I was like looking at me, I was like, oh my, yeah, I was like, yeah, it's a, and I was, I had to explain, I was like, oh yeah, it's a like piece of steak. No, I couldn't explain what that was, but it was just, yeah, you get, get quite surprised what gets sent to me. So that's the most embarrassing <laughs> thing um, that's nothing really happened um, in that kind of aspect. But, yeah, I do I do get a lot of photos sent to me. And it's so interesting. I don't know, but, you know, when things are happening, you know, at the start and I'd be like saying to my partner, oh, you know, I've got to go, I've got to go have a birth or she's lost a mucus plug and he'd be like, what? What's happened? And so now that he knows everything, like he knows about, oh, see, I think he even knows about birth more than what, you know, most most partly he knows everything that's about to happen. But it's um, – it's 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 an interesting thing. I think that's the most is that I get really random things come up on my phone and on my watch. I have so many like if you if anyone had to look through my phone and all the photos I have, all the births and all the um, you know, I have to think and stop and go, do I take photos of my own children? Because there's so many birthing photos. A lot of almost well, each birth gets about anywhere between 150 to 250, 200 photos of the day. They get given on that day of photos of, of babies being born. Um, you know, they get the classic vomited on you or, you know, things like, you know, almost projectile vomit. You don't actually realise how far vomit can go across the room. <laughs> That's one of the big things. People always ask, why don't you wear scrubs like Joe? I'm like, you don't want me clinical. You want me You want me to blend in. Like you don't, I wear black in the birth space for a reason because you get dirty. But I'm like, you don't want me, you don't want me in scrubs. You want me to, unless I have to change because, you know, I do get dirty or I get, you know, a bit of lycal and neurotic fluid on my feet. But, you know, nothing major. Nearly sometimes a concussion with the head right above the bed. Absolutely. That's one thing. One last question I want to ask you before we wrap it all up, and, and you touched on this a little bit, and that's about Fabian. I mean, obviously, he knows a lot about birth now, more than most men. Yes. But he's obviously got to be a great support for you. So, you know, how does how how do you, you know, you've got two beautiful daughters. How does he involve himself and how, how does that family balance all work? Well, people ask, how do I do it with two small kids? And... um you do. I have this village at home, you know, but people don't see this on social media. I don't share it. I go manic behind the scenes, getting all the school uniforms ready. So all he has to do is get dressed, send them to school, get them ready. I have all the lunches ready. He knows if it's going to be a long birth, I can send him a text saying, you're going to have to do tomorrow, drop off and pick up. And, and, um, he, yeah, he knows it's so interesting. Like he, he knows, inductions and mucus plugs and he, he'll know is this the first time mum it's the second like he's just he knows it all and he'll laugh he'll, he knows and I remember I had to explain more to my eldest Lucy because she's like she could see you know dad coming home normal hours you know from work and I'm here I'm getting up and going to the hospital at two o'clock in the morning or coming home really late and she'd be like what what where are you going and I said well I, I'm going to help Dr. Joe. I said, there's a baby coming. I said, mummy's going to help other mummies be strong to have their babies. So we sat and I showed her as she sees all my birth photos. And so she will, um, 
we talk about it quite a lot. So she knows. Like sometimes my phone will go off and then he, she'll she be like, where, where are you going, mum? And I'm like, I've got to go. There's a baby coming. I've got to go help Dr. Joe. So she she knows that there's happening. For a while she was more shattered because all the every time I'd ask her, she was like, is it a boy, is it a girl? And I was like, for a while, they're all boys. And she was like, oh, not another one. Like, but it's, <laughs> they come on the journey. They know. They um, they love it. He's, and I remember the first couple of times when we're having, like, or being on call because I do, I'm on call quite a lot. And um, I said, are you going to be okay with work? Like, you know, and he said, you get to live your dream. And so you get to live your dream and that makes me happy. So he... Um, I'm very, I'm very, very grateful that he, he knows, he comes along the journey in the background, he knows everything about everybody, what's about to happen. A big shout out to all the, the partners of healthcare professionals and including Dawes. Yes. Because, you know, they, they are the unsung heroes, you know, all of our lives go on because partly we've got people behind us who are support us. Vanessa, it's been so fantastic having you on, on the podcast and certainly learning a little bit more about doulering. And uh, hopefully we've dispelled a few myths about being a doula and also what a doula does. Thanks so much for your time. And I hope that everyone's found it wonderful listening to you and listening to your, your, the way that you, you approach women during their, their birthing experience and during their pregnancy. And it's uh, certainly from my perspective, wonderful to be uh, involved in, uh, in, in seeing you care for them. Thank you for having me. And Vanessa, for people who want to connect or follow um, and learn more about what you do and potentially have you at their birth, I would love that. We live in different states, so I'm just trying to figure out how I can have you at my birth because you sound like a dream. Um, but how can people connect with you or find you? So my Instagram handle is vanessa.salerno underscore doula. If you need to look at me uh, for my website, it's www.vanessathedoula.com.au. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming today and chatting with us. It's been amazing. And um, people are going to get so much from this episode. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of Baby Baking and Kid Raising. If you'd like to suggest a guest or connect and see more of us, then head to Instagram at Baby Baking and Kid Raising. And if you enjoyed this episode, we'd be so grateful if you get hit subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever listening platform you use. Please note that the information provided in this podcast is for educational and entertainment purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of a qualified healthcare provider regarding your own pregnancy birth and health conditions.